This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. This morning conference in our intellectual retreat titled the, the Trinity and Priestly Life, Praying, Preaching, and Ministry, Ministering, is dedicated to that verb ministering. So in terms of my three conferences, uh, this one is on ministering. And the title is The Trinity and Priestly Ministries, St. Augustine's and Ours. Now, it can be asked, why have someone like St. Augustine as a model? Why pay attention to someone who is going to help us in our priestly ministries? Well, first off, I think it's Thomistic. So St. Thomas Aquinas has left us several sermons, and perhaps my favorite among the sermons is Puer Jesus. And uh, St. Thomas says, we should not only listen to one person, but to many people, because as the apostle says, there are a variety of graces, but no one man is perfect in all things. Blessed Gregory knew morals the best, and blessed Augustine solved questions the best, and blessed Ambrose allegorized the best. What you do not learn from one, you learn from another. Thus in Sirach, Stand in the midst of the wise elders and join yourself from your heart to their wisdom that you may listen to the discourse of God. What one does not tell you, another does. So St. Augustine is someone who, as a good teacher, tells us that we should have many teachers. And then to think about teachers precisely in priestly ministries. Okay, so sometimes a newly ordained priest is given a, a mentor that is structural, and, you know, that, you know, this one, you need to talk to this one uh, who's a more advanced priest uh, in terms of having a model, uh, a mentor. Sometimes it's not structural, but sometimes a, a newly ordained priest uh, will, will want to talk to someone. And then sometimes it's not just something about new, being newly ordained, but simply in priestly life, we need to have models. Okay, so let me just think in terms of my Dominican life, you know, uh, you know who are your models for priestly ministry, priestly ministry? You know, I'm thinking, well, sometimes it, it depends upon what, what, I'm, uh, what I'm needing, okay? So, uh, or what I'm thinking about or some problem. So in terms of my Dominican province, I can think of, uh, in terms of illustrating the Pauline principle of becoming all things to all people, I have someone in mind, okay? So in terms of making sure that I can have this adaptability to any situation. Uh, when I have a problem concerning sacramental ministry, and that there's some technical sacramental question, I have another uh, Dominican priest in mind who's going to be helpful to me. Uh, if I um, think, okay, now there's a question about canon law and what's the law of the church and precisely in this ministry, I have another Dominican priest in mind. You know, uh, if I think um, uh, I want to uh, be more productive in my priestly writing, I have another Dominican priest in mind. Uh, I want to be able uh, to do different kinds of, of teaching and then be available for different kinds of preaching, particularly in the summertime. I have another Dominican priest in mind. Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, I want to have greater joy in my priestly ministry. I have another priest in mind. You know, uh, I want to uh, be able to give great scriptural insights to people. Another Dominican priest in mind. So you, you see that it's helpful for my priestly ministry to have various kinds of models. Now, the thing about it is that um, this Retreat is especially dedicated to the Trinity and priestly life, the Trinity 
and priestly life. So, uh, so then you think, oh, now who especially can help us in terms of ministering in regard to the Trinity? I get to study the fathers of the church a lot. And, uh, and so this is where, uh, like St. Thomas, he goes back to the fathers of the church as, as teachers who can help you now. Well, these fathers of the church can help us now precisely in our priestly ministry. And of all the fathers, I'm choosing just one, St. Augustine. Okay, so uh, he solved questions the best. He also, in a particularly resplendent way, shows us something about the beauty of, re of, of communicating the Trinitarian, the Trinitarian mystery in priestly ministry. Okay, so this talk, this conference is divided into four sections. One is a sketch of St. Augustine's life and ministry. Two, on the solemnity of the birth of St. John the Baptist, we'll consider Augustine's ministry in terms of his combating donatism, uh, particularly the donatist understanding of baptism. Three, we'll consider Augustine's ministry in terms of some examples of how he's talking about our faith in the Trinity to others. And four, uh, in terms of his Eucharistic ministry, what he does for the people concerning the dialogue that begins the Eucharistic preface, okay, so that he helps people understand this one little part of the Mass uh, and, and then to consider that Trinitarian significance of it. Okay, so four parts, a sketch of St. Augustine's life and ministry, two, uh, in terms of Augustine combating the Donatist understanding of baptism, three, Augustine's ministry in terms of talking about the Trinity more generally, and four, uh, his focus on the dialogue that begins the Eucharistic preface. One, sketch of St. Augustine's life and ministry. So with St. Augustine, he's so personable, like we know all sorts of details about him. Uh, we know when his birthday was. And in the day Beata Vita, he says, he says it's the Ides of November, and they had a little birthday party for him. Uh, so November 13, 354 was his birthday. Uh, we know that he died on August 28, 430 while the vandals were besieging Hippo. Okay, so he had told his priests, we have his letter where he says, you know, so many Christians are leaving Hippo to escape the vandals. You may leave with them to minister to them, or you may stay here and risk martyrdom. St. Augustine himself was very ill and he wasn't able to travel, but he was also willing to be a martyr among the people who would stay there. Okay, and, and Hippo did fall the following year. It was a long, terrible siege of the city. Now, we know a lot of, uh, about St. Augustine's early life through his confessions. And one thing to keep in mind is that he wrote the confessions precisely as a bishop. So book nine of the confessions ends with Monica's death after, after Augustine was baptized on April 24th, 387. Okay, so on, on the Holy Saturday night, April 24th, 387. He started writing the confessions about 10 years later, right after St. Ambrose, his spiritual father, died. Uh, and then he, he wrote the confessions from about 397 to 400 or 401. And so then, just to think about it, that as he's telling his story of his early life through his baptism, he's telling it precisely as a bishop. Okay, and one of the things that he uh, is doing, okay, so, so, so that the whole thing is ministering 
to people, okay? So it's not just simply a good read or one of the classics of all Western civilization, but he is wanting people to identify themselves somehow in the story and to be able to be turned to God, okay? Because it's, it's not just simply an autobiography, it's a theology. Augustine is communicating the mystery of God in this writing, okay? And he's doing it as, uh, as someone, he was ordained a priest in 391. He was um, more interested actually in religious life and he went to Hippo uh, in terms of the, his religious life uh, business and, and he was caught, so to speak, and was ordained. Uh, he was crying, uh, he was so surprised in terms of, you know, this wasn't what he was thinking and some thought, oh, he's crying because he's not being ordained a bishop. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and he was so upset that that was what some people were saying. Um, well, the Bishop of Hippo was a Greek speaker who did not speak Latin well, Valerius, and in 395, he got Augustine uh, ordained to the Episcopacy as his coadjutor bishop. And then uh, he, uh, Valerius dies about a year later, and then, and then Augustine becomes Bishop of Hippo. And so he's writing this, and one of the things that you could see what he's doing is that he's telling his story because there were lots of rumors about him. He had been a teenage father, okay? So his son, Adeodatus, was born while, he was, while Augustine was still a teenager. And Adeodatus was baptized with his father, along with his father's friend, Olypius, on April 24, 387 in Milan. And Adeodatus came back to North Africa, but died as a teenager, okay? So, he, so Augustine is a, was a teenage father who then loses his teenage son. Uh, and then now people are, are saying different things about him. He has lots of enemies. And uh, in terms of just one of the things that was said about him uh, was that, um, that uh, well, that he, uh, well, he was still Manichaean, um, but, that he, but that he was doing things that were improper, frankly, sinful concerning women, okay? That, that, so uh, Augustine had been accused of giving some sort of drug or love potion to a married woman. And the false accusation seems to have been spread by none other than Bishop Megalius of Kalama, the primate of Numidia, who consecrated Augustine a bishop. Megalius later apologized for the accusation, but the Donatists seem to have used it among other accusations against Augustine. Now, uh, clergy following the Apostle Paul had become a spectacle to the world, 1 Corinthians 4, and Augustine observes in one homily on his clergy, those who love us look for something to admire in us, while those who hate us tear us to pieces. All right, so, uh, so you just think about how uh, Augustine knows that some people love him, admire him, other people hate him, okay? Uh, and so I think this is very significant in terms of his, um, his ministry. When he is ordained a priest, he asks Bishop Valerius for time to be able to study scripture because he realizes that he needs to know the Bible better. And just in terms of how uh, once he's, because then once he's starting the actual different kinds of ministry, he doesn't have a lot of, well, he doesn't have a lot of me time. Let's put it that way, okay? Yeah, uh, today we have about 5 million words extent from Augustine. Okay, about 5 million words extent. 
Uh, we have about 900 sermons. He probably preached over 6,000 times. Okay, so he is constantly helping people. He's constantly uh, uh, answering people's questions. He is a bishop. He's deciding judicial cases all the time. Uh, so just he, uh, he and, and he knows that he has to communicate scripture, the life-giving word for people. So that way they may, they may experience, um, they may experience God in their lives. So uh, he once writes a letter to St. Jerome and he says to Jerome, I do not have, nor could I have such great knowledge of the divine scriptures as I see that you have. And if I have some ability in this area, I use it completely for the people of God. But on account of my work for the church, I can at all have the leisure for training scholars in more details than the people will listen to. Okay, so in terms of models among the Dominican priests in the United States, in, in my province, St. Joseph, there's one uh, older uh, Dominican priest who basically says uh, something like, the mind can only receive as much as the behind can endure. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so just in terms of uh, wisdom and priestly ministry. Now, uh, in terms of themes of Augustine, I, uh, uh, I think just about every preacher has about five themes, okay? Whether they're really good or not, uh, there's still about five themes. St. Augustine has about five, five themes, okay? So it just, uh, it just keeps going, uh, and it's beautiful, okay? So... Uh, Father William Harmless, a Jesuit who passed away, who was teaching at Creighton University in o Omaha for many years, talks about uh, St. Augustine's preaching as jazz theology, okay? Because he, uh, so, you know, with jazz, that you have uh, actually recurring themes. Uh, you have a, a sort of audience response uh, that people will recognize something, will clap, and then the artist, the jazz artist, that musician can, can play along with the people, uh, that there's a spontaneity. Uh, St. Augustine did not write out his sermons ahead of time. He, re he read over the scriptures, he prayed, and then he spoke. Okay, so, so there's, there's something extemporaneous about, and, and, he, and he moves in his homilies as he sees the people are moving with him. Okay, so it's just really wonderful uh, to, to see that homiletic reaction like, like, a, like a good jazz artist. Now, of the themes, uh, one of the predominant themes is love, okay? And then, and, you know, we're, we're a jumble of loves, okay? St. Augustine wants us to be able to distinguish kinds of love, that there are loves of use, that you love things because they're useful, and then there are, there's a type of love that's simply an enjoyment, and that enjoyment is to cling to that for its own sake. And of all the things, only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are to be clinged for their own sake. God alone is to be enjoyed, and everything else then, in terms of our love, is to be used to enjoy God, and God is not to be used. God is not to be used, okay? So uh, as one uh, Dominican priest in my province uh, has said to me, uh, it's like um, some people say God is light, and they use the light to enter a room to find what they want, okay? That's using God, All right? So, uh, so you just think, okay, love, love. 
And that, that St. Augustine has this great sense of, of love, and he loves Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. And so the Holy Spirit then gets into our hearts to be on the path of Jesus, the humble mediator who shows us the Father's love so that we may go back to the, to the Father. The, the, the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity is really the mystery of love. God is love, First John. Posidius, uh, who was Augustine's dear friend and who lived in, uh, in the religious life with him and became Bishop of Kalama, wrote the life of St. Augustine. He concludes in this way. From his writing, assuredly, it is manifest that this priest, beloved and acceptable to God, lived uprightly and soberly in the faith, hope, and love of the Catholic Church, insofar as he was permitted to see it by the light of truth, and those who read his works on divine subjects profit thereby. But I believe that they were able to derive greater good from him who heard him and saw him as he spoke in person in the church, and especially those who knew well his manner of life among men. Okay, so this is where, in terms of, uh, you know, you can read all sorts of his writings, but you didn't really know him unless you saw him preach, and especially if you got to live with him. Okay? Because priestly ministry is precisely something that comes forth from our life, our life called by God, and then to minister according to, to the light of that mystery. Section two, donatism and baptism. St. Augustine always goes back to baptism and think about how it's especially baptism that emphasizes frankly, the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit in accordance with Matthew 28. And St. Augustine uh, uh, dealt with Donatism, which was a heresy. It began as a schism in the early 4th century in Carthage after the Diocletian persecution. So Sicilian uh, was named Bishop of Carthage, and they had the three bishops who were there to ordain him or consecrate him to the Episcopacy, it was said that one of those three was a traitor. One of them uh, was a traditor who had handed over the sacred books to the Romans. And that then uh, some said that that ceremony did not count, that he was not validly ordained Bishop of Carthage. So there was an, uh, a rival bishop by the name of Majorinus who soon died, and his Majorinus' successor was Donatus. And that's why it's called Donatism. They thought you needed to have personal holiness. You know, you cannot give that which you do not have. So if the sacraments communicate holiness, you need to be holy, okay? You need to have a personal holiness in order to communicate holiness uh, for the sacraments. So, so they wanted to be the church of the holy. Now, uh, St. Augustine, and, and so they were separating themselves. You know, they called themselves, you know, the, the, basically these are the, the, the true... Uh, Christians. They didn't call themselves Donatists. Uh, and they thought the Catholics were very lax who then didn't have proper sacramental ministry. So St. Augustine emphasizes uh, actually our unity in love and how we are children of the same father. So when we pray our father, they deny that we are their brothers and sisters. But St. Augustine says we pray our father. And whether they like it or not, we pray for them because God is the same father for us all. Uh, because uh, St. Augustine then wanted us to be able to grow toward that love of God. Now, I, uh, I used the beginning of John chapter 4 for the beginning of this, 
Uh, so remember how, uh, how more people are being baptized by Jesus than by John the Baptist. More people are coming to Jesus for his baptism. And then there's the parenthetical comment, oh, Jesus himself did not baptize. It was his disciples who baptized. Well, okay, isn't that interesting? So uh, tractate 15 from the 124 tractates on the Gospel of John from St. Augustine. It may perhaps surprise you why it is said that Jesus baptized more than John. And after this, it was said that although Jesus baptized not, his disciples did. What then? What was the statement made false and then corrected by this addition? Or are both true? Namely, that Jesus both did and also did not baptize. He did, in fact, baptize because it was he that cleansed. And he did not baptize because it was not he that touched. The disciples supplied the ministry of the body. He afforded the aid of his majesty. Now, when could he cease from baptizing so long as he ceased not from cleansing? Of him it is said by the same John in the person of the Baptist who says, this is he that baptizes. Jesus, therefore, is still baptizing. And so long as we continue to be baptized, Jesus baptizes. No, let a man come without fear to the minister below, for he has a master above. Okay, so in terms of the minister of the sacrament is an instrument of the master above, and it is Christ who baptizes. All right, so this is very important then, um, or book two in St. Augustine's answer to Petillion the Donatist. Uh, uh, so he says, um, uh, he himself baptizes. We do not mean he himself holds and dips in the water the bodies of the believers, but he himself invisibly cleanses, and that he does to the whole church without exception. Okay, so just in terms of how it's Christ who baptizes. Now, in terms of priestly ministry today, this is very significant because do you know what the news from Rome was at this time last year? It was the, we baptize you in the name of controversy. So, uh, so this is where, in terms of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, the dubium came, uh, whether, the whether the baptism conferred with the formula, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit is valid. We baptize you. Uh, second, whether those, whether those persons for whom baptism was celebrated with this formula must be baptized in forma absoluta. To the first question, negative, not valid. To the second question, affirmative. That means that... Uh, that they must be baptized, okay? So not conditionally baptized, but just simply baptized. Um, and uh, that came from Rome, uh, from the offices of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, June 24th, 2020, on the Solemnity of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. Now, signed by Cardinal Ladaria, prefect. Uh, Cardinal Ladaria gives a doctrinal note on the modification of the sacramental formula of baptism of uh, all the theologians who especially is prominent in his reasoning. St. Augustine. The Second Vatican Council states, when a man baptizes, it is really Christ himself who baptizes. The affirmation of the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, Sacra Sacrum Concilium, inspired by a text of St. Augustine, wants to return the sacramental celebration to the presence of Christ, not only in the sense that he infuses his virtues to give it efficacy, but above all to indicate that the Lord has the principal role in the event being celebrated. So skipping paragraphs. When celebrating a sacrament, or, sorry, right there. When celebrating a sacrament, the church, in fact, functions as the body that acts inseparably from its head. The church, in fact, functions as the body that acts inseparably from its head. 
This very much goes back to St. Augustine's teaching of the Vox Totius Christi or the Totus Christus. Uh, so in terms of that head and body are inseparable in Christ. Okay, later though. Moreover, to modify the sacramental formula implies a lack of understanding of the very nature of the ecclesial ministry that is always at the service of God and his people and not the exercise of a power that goes so far as to manipulate what has been entrusted to the church in an act that pertains to the tradition. Therefore, in every minister of baptism, there must not only be a deeply rooted knowledge of the obligation to act in ecclesial communion, but also the same conviction that St. Augustine attributes to the precursor, St. John the Baptist, which was to be a certain peculiarity in Christ, such that although many ministers, be they righteous or unrighteous, should baptize, the virtue of baptism would be attributed to him alone on whom the dove descended and of whom it was said, it is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so John the Baptist's witness, John chapter one. Therefore, Augustine comments, Peter may baptize, but this is he that baptizes. Paul may baptize, yet this is he that baptizes. Judas may baptize, still this is he that baptizes. Do you see how that's an anti-Donatist polemic? Because Judas may baptize, whether it be Peter, Paul, or Judas, it is Christ himself who baptizes, okay? So, uh, so you just think, okay, so this is really important, and it is John the Baptist's witness about how it, Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinitarian, ministry, Trinitarian mystery precisely in this baptismal ministry. Now, it wasn't accidental that of all the possible officer reading selections for today, what does the church choose? one of the many sermons by St. Augustine on St. John the Baptist. Okay, so the one for today was from Sermon 293. Uh, listen from Sermon 292. Uh, so it's called On the Birthday of John the Baptist, in which he argues with the Donatists. Okay, little selection. Listen to him confessing even more clearly that he was a disciple. So this is John the Baptist is a disciple. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom stands and listens to him. And that's why he stands, because he listens to him. He stands and listens, because if he didn't listen, he'd fall. How right that one was to say, to my listening, you will give exultation and joy. What's the meaning of to my listening? Listening to him, not wishing to be listened to instead of him. And for us to realize that in listening to him, he is recommending humility. After saying, to my listening, you will give exultation and joy, he added straight away, and the bones that have been humbled shall exult, Psalm 51. So he stands and listens to him. The bones that have been humbled shall exult, because when they have lifted themselves up, they get broken. So no servant must take to himself the authority and powers of the Lord. He should rejoice at belonging to the household, and if he's in charge, he should provide his fellow servants with their rations at the right time, but rations on which he too himself lives, not as though they were living on him. What I mean, uh, what I mean does providing rations at the right time amount to, but providing Christ, praising Christ, putting Christ forward, preaching Christ. That's what providing rations at the right time is. Because in order that Christ himself might be the rations for his beasts, he was placed when he was born in a manger. Right, so this is where you should, or that lovely image from the, from the sermon that we heard, uh, John the Baptist is the voice crying out in the, in the wilderness, but Jesus is the eternal word, okay? So then to think about our priestly ministry, our priestly ministries are to be like that John the Baptist uh, way of being the voice. He's, uh, he's the voice, uh, but Jesus is the word, okay? So um, 
uh, you just think about the importance of a voice. A voice comes and goes, but the word remains. Okay. Uh, God is love. Yep. It just takes a moment to say something in a voice. The voice comes, goes, but God is love in my, is in my heart and it's in yours. That, the word continues. Three, Trinity and teaching ministries. Now, when St. Augustine uh, was ordained a priest by Valerius, Valerius knew that he had someone who could be very helpful for his own Episcopal ministries. In fact, he thought um, Augustine had a, a, uh, had a purpose already as a priest soon after his ordination for the wider church. So there was a council in Hippo and all these bishops from North Africa came and Augustine was asked to address the bishops on the creed. Okay, right now, uh, let's just think about this. We have no evidence of any priest in North Africa preaching uh, other than, of course, bishops. So St. Augustine as a priest was asked not only to preach, but to, to basically teach the bishops about the creed, right? And then uh, very soon after Augustine's a bishop, he writes on Christian doctrine in four books, the first three about uh, the way of finding uh, what is in scripture and the fourth book about how to communicate what is in scripture precisely to help priests because now something was changing that more and more saw that priests could be instructed to preach. Okay, so I follow Father Edmund Hill's argument about the very purpose of the De Doctrina Christiana and it, it makes great sense to me. All right, so but just think about in terms of the Trinity and priestly ministries, because all sorts of um, priests um, uh, may get concerned about how do we talk about the Trinity, okay? Well, it's just, what else are you going to talk about? You know, to be Christian is to be Trinitarian. To be Trinitarian is to be Christian. It, there's no way of being Christian without being Trinitarian, okay? Talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you're not talking about God, what are you talking about? So, um, so then to be able to say, oh, and then in terms of the creed, well, St. Augustine uh, really thinks that catechumens, so those who are preparing for baptism, what should they know? What should they have in their heart? They should have the creed. And you just think structurally the mass, uh, where does the homily fall on Sundays and solemnities? Well, between the gospel and the creed. So you just think, oh, the homily is between the gospel and the creed. Well, maybe it is precisely meant to be a bridge. And you just think, oh, in terms of our priestly ministry concerning the, the Most Holy Trinity, because the creed is the most succinct uh, statement of the faith in the Trinity. How that calmly then can communicate the riches of the word of God that is opened uh, by uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in the light of Christ himself, that we may go back to the Father, okay? So just in terms of St. Augustine has several different things uh, to help catechumens uh, understand and keep, keep in their heart the creed. So this is where in terms of our, our priests, you know, do we, do I, do I as a priest keep the creed in my heart? So that way I can communicate the central faith of the church. You know, sometimes people are wondering about all sorts of problems in the church. 
you know, how often do we go back to the very basics of the faith in who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? St. Augustine lived mm -hmm. in a time of materialism. Sound familiar? All sorts of people are materialists today. Um, so uh, one thing that comes out clearly in the confessions is his breakthrough because he kept thinking of God as, as a mass, as this uh, blob, really, really big blob, blob that was extended throughout all, um, all the things that you can see. So this is where in terms of um, like early on years ago, I heard Manichaeanism was a dualist religion. So spirit was good, matter was evil. I didn't really appreciate for the Manichees, spirit is actually light matter. It's still, it's still a form of matter. They had no concept of true intellectual spirituality, immateriality. To be immaterial for, for these people means that it doesn't exist. Immaterial, it's immaterial, it doesn't exist. So even for the Manichees, for Stoics, the Pneuma, the Greek word for spirit, it's a sort of uh, refined matter. What St. Augustine wanted to do is to let people think about the reality of spirit, okay? And that this is not at all matter. And, uh, and so in terms of Trinitarian images, uh, he basically says, uh, Consentius is a layman from the Balearic Islands, uh, so just off of Spain and the Mediterranean. Uh, Consentius uh, was thinking about the Trinity. Uh, St. Augustine writes so many letters that if he were around today, he would be answering emails all the time, okay? So he's, he's constantly trying to be helpful to all sorts of people. Consentious is this layman who asks him about the Trinity. And basically, Augustine says, uh, one of the things to keep in mind, you know, the Trinity is not some sort of body. It's not some sort of mass. The Trinity is not a triangle, okay? Uh, the Trinity is not a triangle, okay? So he, and then he says, um, if you think of any materiality about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's idolatry. So he says, God does not dwell in our hearts with such idols. We make haste to shatter them, and so to speak, to shake our faith free of them, so that we do not allow even the dust of such fancies to remain there. Okay? So in terms of that, anything that, um, that is not appropriate to God, the mystery of God, that is just a matter of, of, of bodily, carnal, carnal thoughts, this is idolatry, okay? Right now, uh, so then from this, uh, St. Augustine thinks that in terms of just, you know, communicating the Trinity to people, he hears that, some, that people have an expectation about, what, uh, about talk on the Trinity. So, uh, so he says, after reading the baptism of the Lord gospel, I make bold to say, I say it timidly enough, but I make bold to say, we have the three apparently separable. Jesus comes to the river from one place to another. The dove comes down from the sky to the earth from one place to another. The Father's voice is heard neither from the earth nor the water, but from the sky. These three are apparently separated by place, separated by function, separated by action. Okay, do you see how this would be a problem that you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all separated. Now, why would this be a problem? Well, St. Augustine says, Now, someone may say to me, Demonstrate that the three are inseparable. Remember, you're speaking as a Catholic, speaking to Catholics. Our faith, after all, that is to say the true faith, the right faith, the Catholic faith, 
which is not a bundle of opinions and prejudices, but a summary of biblical testimonies, not riddled with heretical rashness, but founded on apostolic truth. Our faith insists on this. This is what we know. This is what we believe. This, even if we don't see it with our eyes or even with our hearts, as long as we are being purified by faith, this all the same we hold with the firmest and most orthodox faith, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one inseparable trinity, one God, not three gods, but one God in such a way that the Son is not the Father, that the Father is not the Son, that the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son, but the Spirit of the Father and the Son. It is this ineffable Godhead, wholly self-contained, renewing, creating, recreating all things, sending, reclaiming, judging, liberating. This, then, that we know to be at once both ineffably a trinity and inseparable. Okay, so St. Augustine thinks that the people are going to expect him to hold, be held accountable to that the Trinity is inseparable, and the gospel gives these images where you have the three separated from one another. So what does St. Augustine do? He asks his people to pray for him. Pray for me, okay? And then he says, he asks the Lord, um, may he help me, may he lift it up with me, because I am rather too weak for it and is rather too heavy for me. So after he admits his frailty, he then launches into a sermon about the inseparability of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So although only the Son becomes incarnate, only the Son um, is crucified, only the Son is risen from the dead, all of these works are works of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so and then St. Thomas Aquinas will give greater precision to what this means, uh, but it's extremely important that the Father does nothing without the Son. Uh, you know, that the works of the Father and the Son are inseparable. And so, so then how uh, every single thing, and he goes through biblical testimonies to show that each of these acts, although the acts are of, say, in terms of the gospel, acts of the Son, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are are, are inseparable precisely in this. Okay, so the resurrection of the Son is brought about by both Father and Son. Okay, so let's see the Son indeed and not the Father rising again, but the resurrection of the Son brought about by both Father and Son. Let the Father achieve the Son's resurrection. Therefore, he exalted him from the dead and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, Philippians 2. So the Father raised up the Son by exalting him and waking him from the dead. Doesn't the Son also raise himself up? Of course he does. He said of the temple as representing his body, pull down this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. Okay, so this is where in terms of just thinking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are doing all of these things together, each in his own way. Because the Father acts as Father, the Son acts as Son, and the Holy Spirit acts as the Holy Spirit. Okay, so then... St. Augustine wants people to think about their inseparability, and he wants them to think about how you can find God within you. So in this sermon, he speaks about how we're created to the image and likeness of God, and that people can, can turn to their own inner mystery and find, and find uh, them. And find, find the working, the, the image of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit precisely in terms of the remembering, the understanding, and the loving that goes on within our soul. So this is where in terms of just teaching matters of the Trinity in various ways. The fourth final section is in terms of thinking about the dialogue that begins the Eucharistic preface and that, that way of considering this within the Trinitarian mystery. 
Okay? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Okay, let's just stop there. All right, notice then in terms of wishing the Lord's presence. Okay? Wishing the Lord's presence. So this is where, it, oh, okay. The Lord be with you. And St. Augustine is really a theologian of the heart. Okay? He loves to think about the heart. Uh, one of my favorite passages in Augustine's Confessions, it's in Book 10, he speaks to God the Father, and he says, You pierced me with your word, and I loved you. You pierced me with your word, and I loved you. Okay, so this is where that, that St. Augustine knows that it is God who gives us the ability to love him rightly. The Father gives us his own word, and our own hearts can be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Again, Romans 5.5, 5, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. He says uh, in the Confessions that uh, my weight is my love, okay, or some translate, you know, uh, my love is my weight. Um, you know, so if I, uh, you know, paper is something light, okay? But, uh, you know, you can think of this as a stone. He uses the example of stone. The stone falls, okay? So, there it goes. It falls, because it, that's the weight. Things go to the proper place. Now, imagine this as a lighter, okay? The flame here, okay? Here's the flame, okay? The flame, fire goes up. If I turn the lighter this way, will the fire then go like this? Or actually, will it go like this? It will go up. Because fire naturally rises. Fire naturally, uh, thing, weights tend to where they belong. A stone, things made of earth, will fall. Fire goes up. Our hearts are meant to be on fire. Our hearts are to be filled with the Holy Spirit that lifts us up to where we belong. And where do we belong? Heaven. That's where Jesus is. Colossians, that he is uh, at the right hand of the Father. Okay? So uh, that he, that, that, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and our lives can be hidden with Christ in God. Christ is already hidden with God the Father, and so this is where, in terms of just thinking about, lift up your hearts. The thing about St. Augustine, his liturgy has heart in the singular, actually. So rather than sursum corda, sursum core. Uh, and, and that heart is precisely the heart of Christ. Because ultimately, there's only one heart. Acts, to be of one, the early Christians, uh, disciples were to be of one heart and one mind. That's Christ's heart. Okay, so in terms of, of just thinking about the unity in Christ, and that then uh, he, he, he wants us to be able to, to be with Christ already now in our heart in heaven. So, uh, so he says in one sermon, uh, just as he ascended, you see, and still didn't depart from us, so we too are now there with him, although what is promised hasn't yet come about in our bodies. 
He has already been exalted above the heavens, and yet he suffers on earth whatever hardships we experience as his members. It was to this truth he bore witness when he cried out from a high, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I was hungry and you gave me to eat. Why should we too not endure hardships on earth in such a way that we take our rest with him in heaven through faith, hope, and charity by which we are joined to him? He, while he is there, is also with us, and we, while we are here, are also with him. That's true of him in both his divinity and of his power and his love. While as for us, even if we cannot make it true with divinity, we can make it true with love, provided it is love for him. Already we can be having, well, as St. Paul says in the letter to the Philippians, um, our citizenship is in heaven. Already we can be experiencing this because the Holy Spirit has put our hearts on fire and that we can be lifted up to where Christ the head is, where the head is, the body hopes to follow, and to be with God the Father in heaven. Okay, so uh, lift up your hearts. You know, think about the Trinitarian mystery of lifting up the hearts because it's God's action. So conclusion, uh, Augustine's priestly ministry allows us to see how the life of the church is immersed in the life of the Most Holy Trinity. And we as priests can be inspired by St. Augustine and various other models to be able to see the truthfulness of God's love at work and revealing who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I just want to end now with how a line that is at the end of St. Augustine's great work of the De Trinitate. I know that it is written, in much speaking, you will not avoid sin. I know that it is written, in much speaking, you will not avoid sin. And then St. Augustine prays to God, Oh, if only I spoke when preaching your word and praising you. <laughs>